If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying. Is it lack of education? I've been reading, I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted, I'm addicted. Is it overstimulation? Hey. Welcome to the Success Report. The Success Report. Hear ye, hear ye, come one, come all. You're listening to The Sixth Sense Report with Joel Nikoloff and Darnell Samuels. Yo, man. This is like back to reality for us, you know? We're back in the groove. Yeah, first, uh, well, first actual official episode. Season four, and we got some hot topics to address. Yeah, uh, the world doesn't, uh, definitely hasn't stopped giving us something to talk about. That's for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So today we're going to be talking about police reform, or as people would say, defunding the police. And so basically, in light of the George Floyd tragedy that happened in the U.S., a lot of people have been reconsidering how police operate. And so just like it happens um, in the in the U.S., a lot of people in Toronto more so, Black Lives Matter, are asking for... A, def- a defunding of the police. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's an interesting question. I think, you know, should you defund the police is something that I think for most people is beyond comprehension, right? Because it it, it brings the thought of um, anarchy. Well, they do use the word anarchy to describe what they think, but the word anarchy doesn't actually mean what what they're using it to mean. The word anarchy actually means absence of a ruler. Doesn't mean absence of law. Oh, no, I, I was just thinking like the anarchy a spray painted on the back of a biker jacket and people destroying things. Well, uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> but, but what I mean is when people use the word anarchy, they use it in a reference to something that actually isn't what the word means. But anyways, that's that's sort of my own, you know, pickle or, or, or thing I want to, you know, fight with. But but anyways, the, the point, though, I think what you're getting at is they think of lawlessness, they think of chaos, they think of violence, they think of destruction, they think of a lack of property, uh, respecting of property rights, right? The Essentially, what we see with the rioting is what they think of as, you know, what's going to happen without police. Or, um, I don't know, it's not a good example, but like uh, Chaz, like what they're seeing in Seattle. Yeah, that one's an interesting one. Um, I mean, I'm not sure what to think. Because I, you know, like the media, they like to propagandize, I would argue, in, in both directions. Yeah. Oh, oh sorry. For those uh, who don't know, uh, it's uh, CHAZ is an acronym for the Capitol, Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. So it's a place in Seattle where police are not allowed due to the protesting. They've pushed them out. Actually, they've taken over the precinct because uh, the protesting was so intense. The police left the precinct and the people have uh, taken over the area. So that's what I meant by CHAZ. Yeah. And, and, and I mean... Chaz is is a whole different conversation. conversation so we'll yeah. definitely uh, park that, and who knows, maybe maybe if that that scenario continues to unfold, we'll we'll talk more about it. Uh, that said, I know I'll put in the show notes page. Um, there's a, a podcast by Bob Murphy. Actually, I think it came out today or yesterday. He was talking sort of about this defund police thing, but he also interviewed somebody from from Chaz or or who was in Chaz. Um, and so I think even for our listeners, uh, it might be a bit of a long one, but um, it's I think going to be informative, especially if you want to learn from someone who's kind of been on the ground there to get their insight. Yeah, and um, but before we start, Joel, I want to give a big uh, shout out to uh, 
our guy Talking Drum. <laughs> LP underscore Anan on Twitter, uh, who's a you know avid listener. And you know, he was going back and forth with us on Twitter and he was just commenting about the defunding the police. And we're like, hey, you know, maybe we should do a show on it. So so thanks. Thanks a lot, man. And um hope you enjoy the episode. So the direction that we'll be going in in this episode is we're gonna be talking about uh, the difference between policing in the in Canada and in the U.S. We're going to talk about the Black Lives Matter uh, defunding policy. And then we're going to look at potential solutions and how this actually looks if it were to uh, play out. And then we end with our two cents. So the, what's fascinating about the difference between Canada and the U.S. is that, uh, for example... The Criminal Code, and this is from an article from Laurier University, and it talks about the difference being the criminal code. So, for example, Canada, we work by a federal code, and so it covers the whole country, but in the U.S., it works by state. So, you know, depending on where you live, it, it the, the laws will differ and sometimes differ from um, the federal code in the U.S., the other one is um, how they're paid. So in Canada, financing of the police services is made possible by taxes that are collected federally, provincially, and municipally. And then the revenues uh, from like fines and tickets are returned to the jurisdiction. As opposed to the U.S., uh, the revenues from the tickets uh, sometimes finances uh, corrections and police services. And also, you have uh, one of the most basic differences between Canada and the U.S. is uh, the sheer number of different law enforcement agencies. In Canada, there are less than 235 police services, while in the U.S., there are 18,000 policing agencies for a country that is about only like 10 times greater than Canada in terms of population size. So there's also no American equivalent of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. I mean, you might argue, um, you know, sort of FBI, DEA. So there are some federal agencies, um, but yeah, to, in in essence, they don't uh, they don't resemble the RCMP. Those are probably more more like our uh, surveillance slash you know spy agency, if you want to call it. I think it's like CSIS or something in Canada. And now we also have, uh, the, you know, the concept of the use of force. So the use of lethal force in the U.S far outstrips Canada. So adjusting to the uh, population differences, the police in the U.S. use lethal force about six times as often as Canadian officers. In raw numbers between like 1990 and 2014, there were 376 fatal police shootings in Canada. In 2015 alone in the U.S., there were at least 987. However, (laughs) <laughs> the U.S. number is likely higher because of a number of police agencies. So it could hover around like 18,000. And and the fact that there is like no federal national tracking of the police shootings, that's kind of like a pretty decent ballpark number to work from. And not to, not to uh, mention that, or also to mention that the gun laws are different. So you'll have more people with guns and you'll have uh, the higher tension of being a police in the U.S. versus one in Canada where you can walk the streets and potentially have a feeling that, you know, majority of people don't have a gun. So it's less apprehensive. If you go to the States 
in the U like the places in the US where you have the highest sort of gun per person capita and the most amount of people with gun on their hip, you also have the least amount of gun violence. Right. So, I mean, part of the dilemma is, you know, illegal gun violence and or illegal gun possession or, or illegal guns in a sense, um, or, or if you want to think about it in terms of, you know, gang violence, you know, the cities t- that tend to have the highest gang violence also have the least amount of citizens with the guns on their hip. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, you're you're a pro gun guy, so. Yeah. No, I'm just trying to contextualize, right? Because the the U.S. is is really so vast, and and you've kind of had you're we're, we're lumping all these things together, you know, when we try to give the stats. So, um, it's I don't I don't want it to be oversimplified, um, because I mean, my brother went to school in Texas, and when he first got there, he's like, everybody's got a gun on their hip, but for them, nobody's tense. Well, I would be. Right. Yeah, but that's because of, and so was my brother, but that's because of the call. You know, nobody here has a gun. No, well, I'm saying if I was a police officer. Um, well, but, I, and, I and so here's the, here is the difference um, that I've, I've heard really, and this goes back to <laughs> the thing that happened two months ago, uh, Arbery. Gun advocates, or sorry, like gun people were, were up in arms because those guys got out of the truck with a gun. Low, like pulled out, and and the approach for, that I got from these people that are you know in the gun, let's say culture, the attitude is you do not pull your gun without the intention of using it, right? So in essence, until you feel your life is threatened, you do not pull that weapon out. And so for a policeman, if they if they are actually part of a, a city that has a high gun culture. I would argue they're going to they're going to feel real safe because until that the gun comes out they know they really have nothing to worry about and cha- and those people like you know they're they're very adamant about sort of uh respect of force. Mm-hmm. Okay, so right? so um, I know total sidebar but mm-hmm. so now here's the key question. Does Canada have have to uh, reform its police force. Does it have a police brutality problem? If I say it that way, I'll, I'll say it in a way that I want. Or using unjust force. I think defunding the police is a, a very hard thing to to comprehend. And you know, does Canada need to defund the police? Um, I think is a question that kind of goes beyond sort of the scope that we want to answer, but I do agree that there is a high need to to reevaluate the way that we pay for policing and the way that we, um, let's say, provide policing to the community. And I, and I would say, you know, we have a lot, I think we have a lot of underlying similarities with the U.S. in terms of the way that their policing structure occurs. But as you kind of laid out from an organizational level, it is vastly different. But there is still a huge similarity that every police force is a monopoly funded by government. Even though they have 18,000 of them, their jurisdictions basically make them regional monopolies, just like we do. You know, and, and we just have larger regions for the most part. In the US, you have like county sheriffs that are elected. Well, we don't have that sort of political piece with regards to policing at all 
we have, you know, the region of Toronto or GTA, Metro, you know, the Metropolitan Police. We have the Peel Regional Police, right? We have the OPP. So we have very similar sort of regional structures that I think definitely need to be evaluated as to what are the negative slash unintended consequences of the way that we've created incentives from this infrastructure. So what about you? Where's your, what's, you know, when, when we see this question of reforming or defunding, you know, where does your head go to for, for what we need in Canada? Yeah. Well, I, I think that, you know, we, I, I don't want to say that, you know, black people don't get roughed up by the police in Canada. Like, I, I don't, I don't like saying, I don't think it's fair to say, oh, that just, that's a U.S. problem that only happens in the U.S. Um, but that stuff happens here too. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I think it's a, a uniformly citizen problem, right? Whether it happens, like, equal outcome with regards to police brutality is not the objective if the answer is not zero. I don't know, man. I, you know, all I know is brothers be getting roughed up. Yeah, so, no, but my, my point is, I'm saying, I think it happens to, to people, right? Like, people, whether it happens more to one race or less to another race, I think police brutality happens and more than it should to all races. And so my point was, I don't want it to be 1% of every race. I want it to be zero, right? So equal outcome is irrelevant. Yeah, I don't want anyone getting roughed up by police, especially the innocent. Yeah. Well, all I know is brothers be getting roughed up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, what was, so what we see in the U.S., that's exactly why, you know, people are up in arms. Like, regardless of, you know, if you say other people, like white people, brown people, whatever, uh, nobody cares about that, right? Brothers are getting roughed up. We don't like that. Um, so, we need to reform uh, the way the system is. But when I say that, um, you know, we really have to take a, a deeper look at the numbers um, and look at the intended consequences and the unintended consequences and really do the math. I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's wise to rush into uh, the decision to, okay, well, let's just scrap the police and, um, you know, call in meteor man or black Panther. Like that's just not, that's not practical. Um, nor wise. So that's why I'm I'm for looking at the numbers, but making sure that we're taking our time and doing that. Uh, so what's interesting, you know, Black Lives Matter is the ones who are really pushing this and championing this idea. And so uh, Black Lives Matter Canada or Black Lives Matter Toronto, they basically released a statement on what that the defunding of the police would look like. So they have four key principles. Defund the police, demilitarize the police, disarm the police, dismantle the police. Now, I'm not going to go through every single point. There's about 27 points in it. Um, you could go to their page. Uh, we'll put a, a put this in the show notes. But I'm just going to read to you the paragraph, the opening paragraph, so you can get a feel on, on, on where it's going. So it says, the Toronto Police Services, TPS, budget is over $1.1 million. Billion. Which is more... Huh? Billion. Sorry, what did I say? Million. Oh, yes. It's, sorry, a billion dollars, which is uh, more than the public funding allotted to libraries, housing, shelters combined. We believe that Black communities and all communities deserve better. We are working toward the abolition of the police and toward a society where we can all be safe. While this is focused on law enforcement, we are also calling to defund jails, prisons, 
Immigration Detention Centers, the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, CSIS, and the Canada Border Service Agency, CBSA. We are calling for a reinvestment into Black, Indigenous, racialized, impoverished, and other targeted communities. Uh, so, Joel, what did you take away from this um, statement? Um, I, I mean, it's, you know, uh, I think it is slightly misleading, to be honest. Well, point number one is after, so in their demands, I'll just read the first kind of half of it. It's immediately redirect a minimum of 50% of this budget. So my point is that it's misleading in that, you know, there's this, oh, we're calling to defund the police, but really what they're, they're not really asking to defund the police. They're saying we want to use the resources in a different manner. And, and our demands are how we, we rec, we suggest using the manner or the funds be used. And so for lack of, you know, a better term, I'm saying it's misleading because, you know, it doesn't really address on a high level. Okay, what are the things that police provide as a, you know, categories of services? And what do we want to keep? What do we want to change? What do we want to challenge? What do we have an issue with? Because, you know, I said it to you, I, you know, I look at Sam Say wrote an article about, you know, being in a scenario where he... And his family were taken away from abusive man. And that sort of service, whether provided by police or not, is not the point. That service is something I think as a society who's where we can all be safe is something that we value. And so I think there's, and, and I would argue, I kind of know why, but I think there's a lack sort of, of understanding of what are the services provided? What do we want to keep? What do we want to challenge? What do we think needs to be done differently as opposed to defund the police and we'll tell you how to spend the money? Yeah. Um, you know, it's one of those things, I'll put it this way. You know, once you go through the document and you look at the requests, yeah, I'm not sold. Like, you know, you could be sold uh, and it's not because it's not because it's, it's Black Lives Matter or whatever the case may be. Um, but just looking at the practical outworkings in the request, the requests, uh, I don't, I don't think, I don't think some of these are reasonable. So for example, demilitarize the police point two, and it says end emergency task force. That's the, that's the famous ETF um, and the emergency response team, the ERT. So, you know, the tactical squads, military grade weapons and surveillance equipment. So scrap those, those guys. But the first thing I think when I think of ETF, I think of like The Wire and New Jack City. <laughs> right? I'm thinking like yo, sometimes yo these yo, that task force is necessary. Sometimes you need the guys with the with the bulletproof vest and the ski mask to come in and kick down the door. I I, I don't know. I or the SWAT team. I'm 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 a bit nervous about, you know, scrapping those task force, right? Like uh, not, 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 not to make jokes, but you know, even like you know, you're playing with your GI Joes as a kid, and you know, you have little action figures that resemble the task force. So I don't know, man. I don't know about scrapping it. Well, so I mean, I think you know, points. This is where like, there's, I think there's a lot of places where we might resonate, or we sort of kind of see like, okay, I know what they're getting at. I kind of see that that's an area of a problem. So 
um, just to point out, I think, you know, you're, you're pointing out one where you're saying, okay, this is leading me to doubt. Um, but there's also going to be points within their 27 where you're like, okay, I, you know, I see this as, you know, something that I have concern for. So to the point here, you know, point number two, which you referenced point number three to point number four, they fall under the category of demilitarize the police. And I think there's a, there's a sediment there that most people would resonate with, but I think you've got a really good point in saying, well, at the same time, are there not scenarios where really, really strong force might be needed? And I'm, I, I don't want to not have that available if needed. So I think there's this quote in a, there's a Cato article, Cato.org. It says, defund the police is a bad slogan, but some aspects are worth considering. And so I think there's this, you know, headline within the article that I find just perfect to summarize, I think, where people are are going with, you know, the concerns around the militarizing of the police, which is when people talk about defunding the police, they are suggesting that not every domestic disturbance, traffic mishap or truant youth needs to be confronted by someone resembling RoboCop. And so it also brings to mind this other article that's with uh, Fee. The, high, the title is Unbundle the Police. And this goes back to what I said about this, you know, the Black Lives Matter defund the police movement. It doesn't, rec- it doesn't really acknowledge what are the services. And so, you know, this article is really talking about, you know, the, the, the unbundle the, the police is talking about why do we need, you know, armed police pulling over people for speeding? You know, the line in the article I like says the responsibility for handing out speeding tickets and citations should be handled by an unarmed agency. So the the point I think you know, and and again I could get into the whole libertarian stuff, which I'll I'll kind of park for now about you know roads and 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 policing of roads. But but the idea being, if we as a society think you know uh, speed limits and and traffic violations are something we want to be enforced because we think it, it produces you know a net positive result does it need to be produced or does it need to be you know enforced by a guy with a gun i would second that to say does it even need to be uh, enforced by pulling someone over right could you not take a picture of the license plate in the car and and you know produce citations in that manner and 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 actually have a person taking the picture. Um, again, I know that what I'm saying, you could run into a whole bunch of scenarios. How do you do it? Is it right? Is it wrong? That's not the point. The point is, if we think doing this function makes sense, why do we need a, a an armed policeman doing it? Similarly, I mean, not that this is totally relevant, but why do we need an armed policeman doing traffic control when the construction's going on, right? And so, to some extent. I think the militarization of the police gets to the point of do we always need these, you know, lethal force, you know, minions for simplicity out there resolving these problems? And so to some extent, I'm saying, you know, and this is where I would say to some extent agree with there's something in Black Lives Matter's demands about, in essence, using more sort of mental health workers. Right. And so the idea being, you know, when you're dealing with youth or you're dealing with mental health issues, is an armed policeman really the best approach versus somebody who may be more trained in de escalation tactics? <laughs> or 
on that note, should police be trained more in de-escalation tactics? That's a good point. Yeah, no, you're right. And and I guess for me, it's just one of those things where we're just so used to, you know, police officers, whether it's in Jamaica or here, you know, they, you know, they walk around strapped and, and even more times, you know, you're not, well, I'm not worried. I'm not worried that guns on their hip, unless something pops off, then, you know, you got to worry. But what's interesting is that on the list they have at 16, 17, 18 under decriminalized poverty, drugs, HIV, and sex work. That kind of threw me off there. But I understand why they're they're um, suggesting that. But the point I'm making is that there's just a whole political platform that comes with defunding the police. And that's what just threw me off as opposed to say, okay, well, we're just focusing on you know, reallocating the funds from the, the police and putting it to another form of policing. But then they're talking about uh, decriminalizing, you know, poverty, drugs, HIV, and sex work. Or, or yeah, and, and I, I think, and hold see, on, sorry, let me just read it quickly because yeah, yeah. people are kind of like, what? So 16, release an expunged record for all poverty-related charges, including bylaw infractions, solicitation, uh, sleeping outside, public urination, loitering and solicitation then 17 is decriminalized drugs sex work and hiv status and then 18 um, release and expunge records of all drug related and sex work charges so the idea here right is like it goes back to in the headline it talks about getting rid of prisons and jails and and you know in essence these things either they're talking about for the most part victimless crimes Right? We're not talking about a rapist. We're not talking about a murderer. We're not talking about a, th- a car thief. You know, we're talking about prostitutes. Well, we're, we're talking about people who are, you know, let's use drugs for a simpler. You know, they're people who are doing something on their own volition. And in, in essence, you're criminalizing a behavior that's, you know, sort of a one person on their own. I would think that sort of categorizes everything they've laid out here. You know, the flip side of that is I literally just watched... Today, I watched a, a, a sort of like news summary about, I think it was, I want to say it's San Francisco, but basically they have a huge problem with people crapping in the streets, peeing in the streets, doing drugs in the streets. And so it's kind of sort of the, the counter argument to all of this is, well, I don't want people peeing on the street. And what if that's the result <laughs> of you not now? The and the the basically the the person was like oh the the woman who was talking about it was like oh we just gave him a citation yeah okay I- <laughs> <laughs> right and so my my point of bringing that up is to say like we going back to the whole point of like people don't want lawlessness they don't want disorder they don't want people crapping in the street while they're walking to work right like I don't want to see that and and so I think this is where I I sort of say like I think we need to rethink how we do policing. We need to cuz there is an objective of of order and I mean again I would I would argue some of the issues are go down come down to property rights and that's a a much deeper conversation that we would kind of park. Okay, but but okay, so while you're on that what potential solutions, what potential solutions do you see uh for seeing if we were to play this thing out? Okay, so I'll, I'll jump. Uh, the first one I wasn't planning to jump on this first, but I'll jump on it because it relates perfectly to this. And and there's an I think there's a huge issue with over policing the poor. 
And so that's where I would agree with this. And I'm not getting that because I just think it. So there's a Words and Numbers podcast episode I'll put in the show oh, I love page. Words and Numbers. Those guys are dope. Yeah, they're, they're great. Um, they brought on this guy named Clark Neely uh, on Twitter. It's at Con Law Warrior. He basically is part of sort of a Cato Institute on, on criminal justice reform. But he basically said that we over-police the poor because they can't defend themselves via legal or political means. So the example I like to give people is, you know, I live in I live in Mississauga and right next to me is Oakville. And we always kind of joke that that Oakville is like posh and rich. And what I like to say to people is we never see, you know, how often do you hear about like sort of the 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 guy getting caught with $80 or a dime worth of cocaine? Right? Like someone's got, you know, busted for a baggie of of drugs. But we're talking like small dollar amounts. But, you know, cops aren't busting into the Oakville mansion where the guy's buying $2,000 worth of cocaine. And the argument is basically because from a legal perspective, that guy's going to get a $100,000 lawyer and we're never going to win the case. But the guy who can't even afford a lawyer is going to take a plea deal and they get what they wanted and they didn't, meaning the police get the conviction. That looks good on them from a being tough on crime perspective for the conservatives. and. The, the problem is that there's un- injustice, right? If this is the law, it should be enforced equally. And so uh, I think we definitely need to, to, to really think about equality under the law. And so my challenge is that um, I think we spend too much time chasing down victimless crime while we allow victim crimes to go un investigated. It's like on the Bob Murphy podcast I just listened to today, he said the line, we still like, and I don't know how true or false this is, but I don't doubt it. It's like, we still have rape kits that haven't yet been processed, but we're arresting a guy for selling loose cigarettes at the corner. Mm-hmm. So sorry. So what's your solution for that? The, the the point is to some extent, like reevaluating, what do we really want police to be enforcing when it comes to law violations? Well, what do we want them enforcing? Well, and and this is where I think there's a there's a, a great quote that's libertarian oriented, and I've shared it probably a bunch of times. It's like there is no law so trivial the police won't kill you to enforce it. And so my the point behind that is like kind of saying like if somebody resists, kind of the police pushing back on them doing a particular thing, is it really that big of a deal that you're willing to let them die? because they ended up in a conflict with police. And so I think, you know, for me, the solution is reevaluating some of the things that we want police to enforce. And, and that's where I think, you know, that section about victimless crimes is something that we need to engage more and we need to really think about it. You know, Bob Murphy on his podcast used this great example of like, okay, there's a bar that there's playing poker illegally. Now, if the neighborhood wants to shut them down, and saying like, we don't want that happening here. Okay, well, it's going to cost you $500 and you 500 And they got to collect a total of five grand to to con- conduct the raid and, and lock those people up. Oh, and by the way, you know, a hundred of you are all going to have to commit, could contribute $30 a month in order to lock these people up for six months. And, and, and the point is to recognize there's a cost, right? Like I always say this with regards to drugs, especially within the Christian church. If you have a relative who's addicted to drugs and you think they're skirting their responsibilities and they need to f- smarten up, 
Is the answer for you locking them in a cage? Is arresting them for using drugs what you actually want for them? Or is it that you want to come alongside them and restore them to taking care of their responsibilities? And so if that's your response to your family member doing drugs, why is it a stranger we're saying, oh, lock him up? And, and, and again, my point goes back to we're going to over-police the poor. Like, there's an incentive structure there. The problem is, I would argue, you're going to, yes, we need to change that. But part of changing that is evaluating what laws we actually put on the books. Is it really worth putting a, you know, a cop with a gun in someone's face to enforce this law? Because really, that's how all laws are enforced. So that was, I know that was just number one. I'll kind of pump through the second one because I think Darnell's got a much sort of better or really good breakdown that he he gave me a peek onto. And that second one really comes down, and it's come up a lot in the States, this idea of qualified immunity. I've been wording it in the simplest way is, I think we need to hold police accountable to the use of force that we use for everyday citizens. Meaning, if you would be justified, and I'll use this more so in the US because Canada's self-defense laws are a bit ridiculous. <laughs> if you would be justified in defending your house with a gun, we should hold the police to the same sort of level of standard. They shouldn't be proactively using a gun as opposed to defensively using a gun in the way that we would hold, we would think a regular citizen should use force. There is a third one, but I'll, I'll park it for now uh, and maybe we'll come back to it. Okay. Yeah. So one of the potential outworkings of defunding the police would be to privatize it, but keep the funding from um, the public. So like, for example, this one involves the municipality gathering the taxes, but appropriating it and sharing it with the community. So each community would vote for their preferred police service as um, like a specified contract. So this would increase the competition, increasing the incentives of officers to perform well, because, you know, companies that want good contracts will want to hire good officers, right? So um, this would increase uh, good performance uh, and make the cus- the consumers um, want to keep those people. Now, the other aspect is looking at it from an insurance perspective. So this solution is works like officers are insured to work at a police department. So if an officer has an infraction, the individual can take it to the insurance company and the company will uh, have to make a payout if the officer is at fault. If the officer uh, has too many um, faults or infractions, uh, then he can't be insured by the company and therefore he can't work uh, um, in the police force. So what about those two models do you like? Uh, I I like that. Well, of course, uh, competition is key. And, and, and that's a key um, economic principle. So when you have competition, you get better customer service because guys are trying to be there's there. They have incentive to perform well um, in case they, you know, they, they lose their job because with the with the current model we have, there is no incentive uh, to do good, but just not to do bad or so that they don't get caught doing something bad, which is which is not a positive in regards to helping out the community. But if there's... Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's don't get fired, yeah. right? Like, that's their incentive is don't get right, fired. Right, right. And, but at the same time, y- y- your taxes are still being applied uh, to a service. And if you guys don't like the service, or like the first one was, um, you get to choose who's going to police your community 
um, which is really cool because now you're like, okay, actually, you know, we like these guys or these guys aren't doing a good job so we can remove them. And, and it puts the the onus back on the community and, and makes them feel like, okay, well, we have a role to play in this too. So I, I, I really like that. But again, I don't, I don't think people will go for it because I, I don't think right now people are in uh, the mood to be, or they're not in the mood to be thinking clearly. Uh, emotions are running high and people just want a quick fix. And also, you know, people are scared of change. So I, I don't really see those opportunities working, but I wanted to present these opportunities or these potential solutions so the listeners can kind of be like, okay, well, it actually doesn't sound like so much of a crazy idea. Maybe if the opportunity comes to vote for it or that kind of particular change, you wouldn't be afraid to. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say that I, I've had a few Facebook comments where I, I'll, I'll just take a snippet of it because it resonates perfectly with what you were proposing. I, I kind of, uh, I, I've commented saying like, I thought the current to fund the police movements lack sort of a real uh, solution to the problem of just and slash. So, I mean, I'm a huge advocate of the, the, let's call it, um, free market solution. Um, I, I've kind of been putting it out there, uh, on a couple of Facebook conversations. Um, so I was kind of saying that I think the defund the police movements lack sort of a real solution to the idea of just and, and justice enforcement you know, property rights protection, those kind of things. So uh, here's the line I said, it would be great if they put the customer of the protection services back in control via property taxes or or a tax refund so that if you paid for security services, you have that deducted from your taxes and then allow for a private policing option like uh, there's this company called Vipers Threat Management. I'll put them in the show notes page. They're amazing. I think this and this is what Darnell is saying, it gives the customer direct capacity to hold these security providers accountable. I think, you know, you've mentioned people aren't really interested in that. And and I think sort of there's this culture of profit equating to evil. But in reality, profit represents value creation, meaning the cost of the service is less than the amount it's going to cost you. And, and so as a community, when you are paying for a service and that service provider is beating up your citizens, you're going to fire them and you're likely going to sue them. And you would have expected them to have insurance in cases where they don't actually provide the service they're supposed to and there's damages. So all that to say that I think people need to really think about the free market sort of competition solutions. And I, I just, I definitely want to acknowledge that for, I think, you know, what your point is for the audience, they're not that interested. A lot of people aren't that interested. There's this fear that you know we're going to end up with competing you know police forces and they're going to outdo each other and you know we're going to have like sort of mafia gangs fighting each other for and and i i think um it's sort of this super fearful fear of exploitation and and my kind of punchline on that is in order to prevent exploitation the solution is we create a monopoly which has the greatest ability to exploit us. So I, uh, you know, kind of trying to wrap up here, Darnell, what would you, you know, what would you say is what you want to leave the audience with? What do you want to, you know, leave the listener with, with regards to whether it's defund the police or just, you know, policing in general in, in terms of reform? Yeah. Well, well, just researching, researching the issue. There's like so many angles to come at it from, 
So for example, like the progressive side, which argues from the oppressor oppressed access. And, and, and so they say those who pay more property tax will get the final say on what happens. And those people aren't going to settle for less when it comes to the safety of their family and their assets. And so like the conservative who argues along the um, civilization barbarism axis, I don't think the incentive is strong enough for people to abandon the current police force because they're scared and the respect for authority could be lost. And so, or even lost more than it already is. And so, you know, you got those group of people who are afraid of that. But then also, you know, just looking into like the libertarianism and where they argue from along the Liberty Coercion Act axis. And so taking away the, the police's monopoly and giving them competition to hold them accountable. So competition meaning alternative policing. Um, and a lot of people aren't, a lot of people are still skeptical if that could even work. I know for me personally, you know, look, asking some of my uh, black friends and family members about it, they were like, well, my conclusion was more so there are black people who want to see uh, police abolished because black lives matter. But then you also have people who want to see the police force kept because mm-hmm. they believe black lives matter. Right. So as, um, as many people, um, as many times as I've run into the police, I and I had my run ins with them just as much. I've I've had to call mm-hmm. them for help. So like, yes, yes, I've. It goes both ways. And so you're, you're still kind of weighing like, okay, but I still need them when I need help. I think for me as a Christian, I think as a citizen of Canada, I have the moral responsibility to not just love your brother, your Christian brother, or for some people, their black brother, but to love your neighbor. So that's uh, people that don't look like you. So put it this way. If your neighbor gets jacked, eventually you'll get jacked. So you got to think of um, the safety, not just of, um, your own people, but of your neighbors and everybody around you. What's your two cents, Joel? I think there is a lot of fear in this conversation. There's fear in regards to police. There's fear in regards to no police. And and I think while the fear is, you know, justified in in some regards, it also shouldn't be the way that you drive your decision. You know, I think when it comes to things like this, you know, a, good, a, a simple example would be, you know, why why wouldn't I want the city next to me to try a private policing option? And I would say most people would say no because they're afraid. And so yeah. how how do you introduce competition? How do you introduce more accountability? I mean, we at the end of the day, police brutality is an issue because we consider police accountability to not exist or to be insufficient. And, you know, me in my economics sort of mindset, my free market mindset, I always say the best regulator is the free market because I can say, you suck, I'm firing you, I'm going elsewhere. And and I think people are afraid of that because they're afraid of being exploited. And, you know, without regulation, without, you know, somebody else trying to look after me, how do I make sure I'm not getting screwed? And and I would say, you know, while those fears are, are rational, the trusting 
that, oh, if because they're the government, they're going to create the solution that's best for me is something that I think is highly ignorant. And the reason I call it highly ignorant is because we fail to recognize that somebody else just like me is going to try to set the policy. And if I'm afraid that I can't make the best decision for me and someone's going to potentially exploit me, how is that not the case for Joe Schmo, who's no chance of having all the information? And so I say all of that to go on, you know, kind of going on the rant to say, I think people need to be more open-minded to say, okay, can we do this better? As opposed to fearing sort of the worst case scenario of, you know, tyrant, raging police forces trying to take over our country, how do we actually rethink this and create a solution where the customer's needs are actually being met because the incentives of an entrepreneur is to meet the customer's need? Because if I stop meeting my customer's need, I stop getting paid by my customer. And so I think that's something that, you know, us as people in our modern world, we have, we've kind of just thought, well, no, we need the police to do X or we need the government to do Y. And, you know, to some extent, we need to think outside the box a little bit. You know, as I said, there's how many services do we have the police doing? You know, the simplest example of unbundling some of those things, like the enforcement of traffic laws. You know, why do we need a guy with a gun? You know, so I think for me, this episode is more trying to to cause people to say, yeah, maybe I do need to rethink this. Um, you know, my, my position is is far more radical, to be honest, than I've even presented most of this because, you know, those are things that I think I can actually communicate well in an individual conversation and demonstrate, well, here's the problem or here's the solution and, and walking through these things. You know, so I would say for the audience, if you want to know more sort of about wh- why I'm you know, I would say this is like kind of phase one of the conversation for me. And there's like, you know, 500 more phases, maybe not that much, but, you know, reach out to us, reach out to me. You know, this is a a topic that I think uh, definitely probably deserves more time. And uh, I think if the audience is interested more, you know, we'll definitely, definitely maybe tackle some listener questions on this. So I know, I know the, you know, the guy you shouted out, we actually didn't answer his question. And so we can kind of leave that as, as potentially the next, the first question of, of a follow-up episode. So. Oh no, no, no. I, I, I can answer his question because he was asking, how do you become a police officer? Well, he was asking, how does the level of training differ? you know, for different police forces. And I actually shared a meme not that long ago that I'll try, I'll try and see if I can link it in the show notes page, but it talked about like us is like 16 weeks and other countries like Norway having like two years worth of training before you could become a police. And, and so, you know, I, I thought, you know, that's a bit too technical, too in the weeds for maybe answering on this podcast, but I definitely, I didn't want to, didn't want him to think we didn't see his question, but I think that's sort of, you know, getting a little more into the weeds because, as I said, with defund the police, Black Lives Matter, there's a lack of really, what are the issues? What are the true issues within, you know, what are the incentives within the police that are causing some of these problems? You know, what are the structural training issues, right? So those are things I think that are valid questions that need to be evaluated. And and I think for the audience, we, we want their input so that maybe we can tackle it, maybe even with, with the audience participation in one way or another. So... 
Uh, as I said, reach out to us, six cents report at gmail.com on Facebook, on Twitter at six cents report. And I'm T Joel 39 everywhere. And I'm do good at Darnell D O G U D D a underscore Darnell on Twitter and Instagram and Darnell Samuels on Facebook. Yes, guys, let us know uh, what you thought of the episode. And remember six cents makes change. But you heard me. Does that make sense?